Hey, how's it going, everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Today is part two of our spotlight on the recent release, the soundtrack to Yuka Laylee. Yes, indeed. Last time on the show, we focused specifically on the work of composer Grant Kirkhope, and we were fortunate enough uh, to get to sit down with Grant and talk to him about his work on this game and some of the things he's been up to in recent years. And For we're sure. so excited today to get to focus on really the other half of the score, which was contributed by the legendary Dave. David Wise, and also composer Steve Burke. Today we're going to be mostly focusing on the contributions by Dave because we're so excited to finally unveil the interview that uh, Carl, myself, and Marty had at MAGFest. Long overdue, and we have been purposely saving it up for this. You know, months ago we heard, uh, I can't remember when it was uh, delayed to to April, but the last time this game was delayed, it it was April, and we were like, you know what? Uh, I think MAGFest was in January. We were like, let's just save this interview up until around the time when ukulele comes out and, and you know have it be timely so we decided to do that this is an in-person interview that we did at magfest it was such an amazing memory that we'll never forget basically we record this interview in a conference room so we we uh, were able to get access to a conference room it was just me will marty and david wise uh talking about his career so we are so excited to get to that today and we didn't even need a translator this time <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so funny we w- probably would have needed a translator more with uh grant <laughs> he yeah. talks so fast. But all right, so what we're going to do today, guys, we're going to explore the different side of the ukulele soundtrack. We're going to play some tracks up top. We'll go to our uh, Dave interview, which is a nice, hefty interview. And then we'll play some more tracks uh, after that. So let's get into Carl, it. Carl, what did we hear playing in with? That was a wonderful track. It was the minecart theme from World 2 of Ukulele, composed, if you can't, if you can't hear it here, by David Wise. Uh, so wonderful, so such a natural uh, fit for his compositional style. I was getting some aquatic ambiance vibes oh, for sure yeah. with this one. Yeah, we're going to definitely get more of those vibes as we go forward. So let's move on to the next track we're going to play today, uh, also composed by Mr. David Wise. This is Armed and Dangerous from Ukulele. Let's check it out. Badass. You guys are listening to Armed and Dangerous, composed by Dave Wise. From Platonics, Ukulele, 
which uh, at time of recording came out yesterday, the actual game. The soundtrack was released uh, previous to that. This is our second week focusing on it, and we're focusing today on mostly the compositions of Dave. Uh, we're going to also, later on the episode, play a couple of Steve's tracks as well. Uh, Will, what are your thoughts on this? Let's compare it to maybe the musical style we heard last week. Uh, from ukulele. Well, you know, I still just don't think I'll ever get over the fact that I get to hear new David Wise music I like f- frequently now. I mean, it, it really seemed like there was a long period of time where we weren't getting anything. I think part of it is because some of the projects Dave uh, was working on they kind of fell by the, the wayside. Yeah. Day. Um, but I'm just, I, I, I don't know, it, it really almost uh, getting emotional listening to it. I know. You know. I had an experience recently when I saw the new Beauty and the Beast movie in the theaters, and hearing new Alan Menken music in the movie theater was kind just of a so similar inspiring. Effect, right? Yeah, because he's one of my favorite composers, and Dave is one of my absolute favorite game composers. And I think what's so amazing to me is that the style that he created on really the NES, and particularly in Full Flower on the Super Nintendo and N64, Four days, it almost its vitality is as alive as it ever was. I mean, yeah. th- the production style that he has here, it is very different than Grant's. To me, a lot of Grant's music um, is about creating specific sounds, whether it's an orchestral sound that is a, a well-defined thing, or maybe it's a grouper, or maybe it's a more eclectic group of instruments. There's always a very distinct style from project to project that right. he really commits to. But what I think is great about Dave is Dave just has a Dave Wiseian style, and it's, it's more about these lush productions with all these different instruments and all these different sounds working together um, to create such a unique musical sound. I, I really think it's quite an achievement. It's it's so natural. It's, it's such a lucky pairing that both of these and really all three of these gentlemen were able to work on one game because they're able to cover different territory. Nothing that Dave composed for this project is orchestral. It's all jungle sounding with maybe some kind of percussion um, some drums and then some electronic sounds like that's the it's vibe. really hitting the atmosphere yeah that's the vibe that he goes for and it's totally needed you know I mean I think if the score was nothing but this or nothing but the orchestral stuff um, I think it wouldn't feel as exciting to get all of the different sounds and also the fact that they, they sound good in one soundtrack because we've heard that variety in rare games before, you know? Something like right. Donkey Kong Country is a good example because you had the kind of more serious, vibey tracks, and you also had the really silly tracks, and that, so that's right. kind of what ukulele has. I'm, I'm really glad you brought that point up, Carl, because I, I don't necessarily want to characterize these gentlemen as being able to only do one or the other things. Yeah. Dave Wise has written some incredibly goofy music, you know, if we think about, like, Diddy Kong Racing, um, mm-hmm. or even, yeah, some of the great stuff he's done in Donkey Kong Country or Battletoads. I mean, he has an incredible list of compositions like that, but I just think one of his notable creations is this kind of quasi-techno produced pop uh, sound that really started in Donkey Kong Country and with... Grant, you do think of more of the Banjo-Kazooie, Perfect Dark, Goldeneye um, sound where he's really committing to either a full orchestra or some other ensemble sound. Yeah, so we are going to move on to the next track, but the last thing I want to say, and, and we're going to listen to this uh, you know, as, as we proceed in this episode, is 
you're listening to Dave Wise music with modern virtual instruments, which, which I find to be so rewarding and such a treat because he's yeah. really kind of bringing his style of music into, you know, the, the modern age. You know, listening to a track like this, you have that really cool kind of digital guitar kind of sound right. and then those synth sounds and the drums Some sound great. tremolo strings. Yeah, I, I thought it was an incredible production. I mean, I, I'm just so surprised because that is a set of skills that is entirely different from being a composer and really even an entirely different set of skills from what would have been required creating music on the Nintendo and Super Nintendo and yeah. even through to like the GameCube. So, well, let's move on uh, to minecart theme from World One. So every single world has a different minecart theme and they're all super, super good. We're going to play a hefty amount of those today. So let's take a listen to the World One minecart theme from Ukulele. Listening to the minecart theme from World One, composed by Dave Wise for the new soundtrack to Ukulele. You know what I think is so great um, is in this track we hear Dave's iconic use of the blues scale. It happens in so much of his music, and yeah. I think really to him that's his way of communicating the whimsy and fun of lighthearted video games like this. Again, when we're comparing these composers, we look at Grant's expression to him, the way that he conceived Banjo Kazooie, and to some extent this soundtrack it was more from like this idea of like an oom pa pa cartoon music with that tritone chord progression it's very different but the resulting impact is actually kind of similar and what's great is i think ukulele is a game that's meant to pay tribute to all the rare titles not just banjo kazooie specifically and by having both of their musical styles married in a single mm -hmm. soundtrack along with the musical style of steve burke it kind of gives us the impression of uh overall rare well and guys and you're going to be treated to some wonderful variety from these from these two gentlemen dave and steve so i'm really glad that they weren't limited to a particular style it wasn't like okay guys i want you to also do just a banjo thing like it seems like dave and steve since they were brought on later in the kickstarter it seems like they were just left to their own devices okay guys you do what you do best i'll do what i do best and everyone right. is just creating music that they're they're having so much fun with and this track seems like to sum up everything we love about dave's style because it is kind of bluesy has this american sound with a guitar but it also has a really beautiful kind of pure melody later on with the flute the dun 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 totally. dun dun kind of almost a little bit like tugging at the heartstrings so it kind of covers a lot of bases yeah there's that we talked even about this in the interview last week that sometimes with dave there's this element of like sadness or tragedy in his mm -hmm. music real emotional depth even in a track like this that on the surface is kind of bluesy and goofy uh i just yeah. i love that about his music there's so much emotional heart to it let's move on to my favorite 
favorite track, in my opinion, of the whole soundtrack, uh, composed by David Wise. This one is Tropic Trials. Now, the the old title of this, when it was kind of first previewed on YouTube a couple years ago, it was called Jungle Challenge. But the official title now on the soundtrack is Tropic Trials, composed by David Wise. Enjoy. It's Dave Wise, folks. <laughs> Unmistakable here. Uh, this is just such a joy to listen to. We've played this on the podcast before. Uh, this is just amazing. And kind of similar to that last track we played, the World One Minecart theme, this sums up everything that we love about his style because it's happy, but it's also, it starts off with some, some vibes and some atmosphere, and it's one of those pieces that kind of grows and evolves. Um, one thing that I really enjoy about Dave Wise music as of late, you know, on the Wii U and then now on, you know, on these current generation systems. Um, he's he's using virtual instruments to try to replicate performance even if he can't get actual recorded instruments. So right. when you listen to like those guitar lines and those mandolin lines and those flute lines, I like that they're performed and they're a little bit out of time. They're not right. 100% quantized. And so it feels realistic. I think that's a great point, Carl. And much like we talked about last week with Grant's music and how the style of his implementation really was fitting of almost capturing our memory of the N64, where Mm -hmm. it was good-sounding virtual instruments, but it wasn't really trying to trick us that it was a real orchestra. I almost feel similarly about how incredibly and impeccably this was implemented because it almost feels like bringing that Super Nintendo Donkey Kong Country sound to life. And compared to Donkey Kong Country, Tropical Freeze, which I also thought was amazing. I think this is even a step or two steps beyond that. I'm yes. just really floored by this implementation. I, I I couldn't imagine it sounding any better, even with real performance. I think a track like this makes it clear that Dave Wise has so many more things to say in this modern era of video game music with the modern tools you know that that composers and developers have so so excited that he's now seems to be maybe more active in the scene than he had been you know when you think about the past 15 or so years so I'm very grateful for that uh, guys we are gonna cut to the interview now with David Wise there's a couple things I want to mention uh, up front we similar to last week we didn't just talk about ukulele so the conversation goes in a lot of different directions because um, we're very interested in a lot of facets of his career. Uh, we're so grateful for this opportunity because if you guys may know, Dave does not do a lot of interviews. So the first interview we had on our podcast a few years ago was very, very exclusive. It felt like this scoop. Um, and this one kind of feels like that way too. You know, we're talking about things here that I don't know if anyone's ever really uh, talked to him about on a recorded interview. So really lucky to, to have this opportunity and excited to share this with you guys. Well, 
and something that I'm sure all of you will be struck with as the three of us really were when getting to meet this genius composer is just how humble he is mm-hmm. and how unpretentious uh, and unprecious he is about his own music. It's really inspiring and quite humbling to see someone who, in my estimation, is really a master of this medium yeah. um, just be so down to earth. It was just a delight talking yeah, to him. Yeah, one of the most humble fellows I think we've ever met. So, guys, please enjoy the interview with the master himself, David Wise. We are very excited to be joined in person with legendary video game composer David Wise at MAGFest 2017. (laughs) Luckily, we were able to reserve a quiet little room to escape the noise and the hustle bustle. So, Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you uh, for entertaining me. Absolutely. So the first question uh, that we have, uh, we tried to think of some of our favorite standalone pieces of music of yours over the over your uh, career. And one of my personal favorite pieces of music of yours is Bonus Time um, from Donkey Kong Country 3. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, even though you only composed <laughs> a few tracks for that game, that, that just seems to really personify the spirit of the character of Donkey Kong. So... Do you remember any of your uh, experience working on either that game or that theme and what it was like to kind of go back into the shoes uh, of Donkey Kong? Because I assume you were working on another project while Evelyn was taking the lead for that game. Yeah, I was working on, funny enough, a, a project with Grant at that point. Okay. And um, I think it was called Project Dream or something. Yeah, Dream. Oh, sure. So, um, yeah, so I didn't have that much input into DKC3. Um, I, I just kind of did those five tracks and then moved on to working on the N64, which we were all very excited about back in the day. Oh, I imagine. Sure. It's such a great sort of big band uh, kind of feel and style that that whole Yeah. Is there, is there a lot of that sort of influence, would you say, in you? Yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing for, for me when I was doing DK is I like the big band style of thing. And probably because it kind of went hand in hand, I'd always wanted a saxophone and sure. um, at that time, I just bought one, so I was really into listening to things like Glenn Miller and stuff like oh, that. Oh, sure. that's so great. That's so great that you mentioned that, because we can really hear that kind of golden age of jazz in a track like Bonus Time. I mean, not to get too nerdy about it, but when you actually analyze the, the piece of music, it's really good jazz writing in the way that the parts are kind of dispersed to all the different it's instruments. The clarinet fun. takes over, and then the trumpet, and it feels very authentic. Yeah, it's, it's almost... It's, it's written idiomatically for those real instruments, like in the way that you have sort of the um, trumpets uh, doing those kind of like blasting responses. And yeah, it's, it's really, it's always been one of our favorites. And what's interesting about sort of how it's positioned in the context of that trilogy is since uh, your role in that game um, wasn't as much uh, in terms of the composition, those moments where we get that kind of classic Dave Wise, Donkey Kong classic Country, to <laughs> classic to us, yeah, that Dave Wise um, kind of blues sound, that's what really made that third title feel like Donkey Kong Country. I think. And, and not, not saying that we didn't love Evelyn's score, but she has a different style than you. Oh, completely. Yeah, Absolutely. so I think it was nice to tie it into the world of, of Donkey Kong. Yeah, and, and also I kind of jumped in where things needed that that time with as you say bonus rooms and stuff like that it's happy 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 but obviously from one and two we'd done pieces that were a little more melancholy and sure sure Uh, ambient almost so she kind of almost took that ambient cue and really went with that that's right absolutely so and yeah i did the juxtaposition and did the 
the jazzy stuff. But you know, I, I liked it. And I was still I still experiment with it oh, to, sure. to this day. Well, you mentioned earlier today that you know John Williams, uh, just in particular, and in, in film music in general, uh, is something that appeals to you, and it really obviously appeals uh, to us. We're all huge fans of John Williams and film music, but uh, particularly the thematic component, the idea of a melody as identification for a character. Uh, if when I look at some of your work, to me, sort of the standout idea when I think of um, just great thematic writing is really in Donkey Kong Country 2, because not only is it a great score with you know really catchy melodies, but there's themes that sort of feel outside of each specific track, almost like a film that uh, follow you through from level to level, from stage to stage. I, I was just wondering um, what were some of the influences for that idea and in general, if there were any possibly film scores that you were influenced in your work for DKC2? With any score that I'm, I'm writing, I'm not necessarily, or I, I don't listen to video game music sure. per se, but I will listen to things probably passively, like um, film scores, uh, music. I listen to lots of music all the time. So, to say where the influence came from, but yeah, I think when you're tying something together, it's nice to give. Uh, I mean, with with DK, you know, there were, um, he, he has a saxophone, and then Diddy will have his muted trumpet, and it, the whole idea was to to give instruments to these people, and that's carried through to Tropical Freeze as well. Yeah, so sure. the, the the legacy is still there, and it's about tying in similar themes ish, and that they go from one level to the other, just to give little hints that, that you know they're involved with the game. Yeah, the, it's it's. That score in particular is just is so epic. I I love just how the game is tied around that sort of pirate ship motif. To me, the music always reminded me of Hook. Um, yes. It had that sort of yeah, score. Yeah, and absolutely. And I mean, to it. where it comes from, especially um, Hook starts with that, that orchestral twelve eight, and um, there's a, a classical piece where which I think he was probably very inspired right. by. Yeah. And I was trying to do the, the same sort of thing to try and get it to sound like an orchestra, even though we only had eight monophonic <laughs> voices. Sure. It was well in those Donkey Kong Country games. They they do feel very cinematic in terms of how they open with um, the ba 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 over the Nintendo logo, and it, it's very sort of cinematic each game how they're presented. And that game in particular, once you hit the title screen, it really feels like sort of a golden era film is setting the stage and you hear the strings and this great sort of French horn theme. Well, you, you know, um, for, for me, when I, when I go to the pictures, especially when I was younger, you'd, you'd sit there waiting for the film to come on and then you, you hear this kind of fanfare type thing yeah. coming on with the horns and the Fox strings. And you know you're in for an adventure. Exactly. And that's where the idea really materialized from. It's just sort of setting the scene of, oh, Get ready. We're, we're, it's an experience we've got coming up. Not enough of those nowadays. There are very few titles in movies, it seems like. Yeah, you know, it's, they've got to bring them back, you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. What, and, and again, it's, it's, a, it's about tying themes into expectation as well, isn't right, it? Right, right. 100%. One, one of the things we really enjoyed hearing you say, I think it was the panel this morning with the, with the whole sort of slew of you, uh, you talked about uh, waking up in the morning and finally an idea sort of crystallized and you want to run to your studio. Oh, yeah, it happens so, so many times. I wake up and I go, oh, you know what, that's, that's, that's it. And you just run and you'll uh, probably be in my gym jams all day. <laughs> and um, it, and you just you've, just, to you've got to get it down there and then. And, sure. 
um, there's no other way to it. You, you, it's it's there. It's in your brain. You know your brain's worked it out. You've just got to go for it, put it down. And there's no sort of hard work at that point. Sure, sure. But before that, you've put so much hard work, and you've been fighting melodies. You've been fighting arrangements, chord progressions, and that kind of stuff. What instrument do we need to use? And then you think you'll feel as though you're not getting anywhere and sure. of course you put in like weeks and weeks of work to get to this point and you feel you've got nowhere and then suddenly your brain's worked it out and you wake up and in, in a matter of hours it's all over it's done oh, sure. wow. speaking to the muses in some sense I'm, I'm curious because if that that sort of sounds like uh, one particular method where all of a sudden after all this toil the inspiration will come to you back in the day when it there was more of a gap between the musical idea and actually implementing the thing yeah back when um, there was sort of that barrier of entry, either writing things for the NES or um, the Super Nintendo. Did you have a particular way of creating demos? How, how would you sort of record yeah, how, music? How would you sort of facilitate that gap? Because you talk about how difficult it would be entering all the hexadecimal code. So let's say, let's say it's 1988 and you wake up in the morning and you have it. Uh, would you write things down? Would you record things in a little tape recorder? What, what would you do in the meantime when you're having to kind of code everything? Um, well, I've got good memory. So, oh, and also when I hear things, I, I hear in my head the finished product. Sure, and sure. I know what it's going to sound like. And certainly from going from the NES into the SNES, it, eventually I could just hear something and type it in. Wow. There was no, I didn't so even... There, there was never really like an intermediate process where you would have to make demos or recordings or anything. It was just the idea straight, straight into the machine. Straight, typed straight into the machine. And if it's a strong enough idea, you're going to remember... Oh yeah, absolutely. And you, you listen to these things over and over again, as I was saying earlier. And if, if, if it's annoying you quite soon, then you know you've got to change it. We read that in an interview once with Koji Kondo where he said he would actually let the piece loop 50, 100 times and, and similar to what you said today, mm. that would help him to sort of know if it could sustain that amount of repetition. That's right and when things get too repetitive you, you get ideas for how to break it up and mm. take it somewhere else. So it's, it's always a good idea to listen to work over and over and over again. If you have the luxury of the time to do it, sure. Right, and and in general, that that type of art of creating something that can and maybe will be listened to a thousand times is getting a little bit lost in our current uh, age of oh, technology completely. and interactivity. And there's all these different ways that you might hear a theme in twenty different variations. Whereas back then, it, this is how it was. Everyone's going to hear this for hours and hours. So, you know, one uh, recent uh, piece of music of yours that we absolutely fell in love with when we first heard it was the theme to Tengami. Yeah. The main theme. And I think one thing that was so surprising to us was that this wasn't composed by a Japanese composer. It, it felt so authentic uh, to that kind of traditional Japanese, a little bit video game fusion sound. So I'm just so curious, what were your inspirations when you were composing that theme and maybe that project? There's um, a guy here with OC Remix, Andrea Versa, I don't know if you've bumped yeah, into Zircon. him. Yeah, And um, he's he got this library uh, Koto, he's got Koto oh, okay. library. Yeah, he's really into sample libraries these oh, days. Oh yeah, absolutely. And he produced this amazing library. Um, and I'd been watching lots of YouTube videos about sure. real Koto players. And, uh, and whilst he got this great core library, what they do when they're playing um, the, the Koto is they've got all, all these other things that they do with the hand, which is off the string, so it's kind of off a sample library oh, where, sure. where they modulate it, and that's how you get the, oh, the Eastern sure. sounds. Oh, those bends. Yeah, oh yeah, and it's, I think it's those bends that kind of give it that vibe. 
Sure. And, and some of the early Tengami stuff had lots of bends in, and I was like, oh, that, that's So great. kind of once you were working with that instrument, it kind of wrote itself in a way? Yeah, I mean, I, I took um, the, the samples that he'd done, I, I sure. put it into um, Hallian, and because oh, okay. I got more control over the modulation in, sure. in that way, so I could have all these controllers that put different bends on it depending where the music was going and what key it was in. Um, however, it was on the original, some of the original scores, it was a bit too Eastern, and I, I turned it back down again just to uh, fit in with a, a more well, Western crowd. The melody is, is really so lovely. I'm, I'm curious a little bit into your process, because Carl sort of mentioned it before, not only did it have this sort of tradition, Japanese folk music kind of sound, it also felt of the tradition of video game music, which we also associate with some of um, our greatest Japanese composers, um, that being such a tradition, what was sort of your process for composing that specific tune? Because it's just, it's so beautiful. I, I don't know. I really don't. <laughs> it was just, it was, I got this sound on the keyboard, you sure, know, the sure. um, uh, Andrew's Koto, yeah. and uh, I was just experimenting with that. It was just right. really that the sound kind of lent itself to that melody, and for me anyway. Sure. And another day at work, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Not, not really another day at work, because sure. it's, it's not like that. It's, sure. it's always another day at work. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. wow, you know, what we're going to do with this library? Right, right. And you get inspired by the sound, you think, oh yeah, that takes me to this place, and you get in the zone and, and, and you write it. And, you know, I mean, video game composers are very, very lucky, aren't they? We've, right. we've got right. a great job where it works yeah. it's, it's not it's not really work but it's, a, it's a privilege absolutely. yeah absolutely so it was just one of those things that sounds great i like where it's going we'll take it so it's being inspired by the sound and the vibe of the game and seeing the graphics and everything it's, it's the whole package yeah and i think one of the reasons why maybe we're so <laughs> interested in in these aspects of music because we're all composers as well so i think when we hear a theme like tengami it speaks to us i think in a slightly different way than it might someone who's just playing the game because we're hearing all these elements that we can tell that you spend hours working on and fine-tuning and we're just hearing the finished product and it's it's a very moving experience to, to just hear that finished product well in that, to me that kind of brings me to some extent to ukulele you mentioned sort of uh, jokingly I assume that it, it sort of grants score um, and I, I can sort of understand how that the game is meant to be sort of like Banjo-Kazooie, but what I'm so excited about the project is it seems kind of like a love letter, not just to that game, but all the work that um, the whole team at Rare did so wonderfully um, back on the days of the Nintendo 64. I think it's more of a nod, uh, uh, just going outside of, of Rare, uh, you, you've got to include Nintendo and the N64. Sure. That was a, a really great era in in our history of development and we loved developing for the N64 and it's got some we, we look back now with rose-tinted spectacles and we have a very emotional passionate attachment to that sure. that development and it's great to be involved with with the same team right. it, it's all you know it is the same team there's yeah. the, the, there's the same people wow. and it, it's a great um, almost comfort and reassurance that you're working with people who you know not c only can deliver but they're passionate about delivering it as well right. so it, it's a great experience and it's it's not I mean you mentioned Badger Kazooie which is obviously based on but it's much bigger and it's much deeper there's a whole lot more going on in the game it, it's a lot bigger um, 
Uh, Which is maybe why you're involved as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when, when they, obviously they did a Kickstarter for it, and they said, look, if, if we get enough money, we'd, we'd like love you to be involved, Dave. And they said the same to Steve Burke as well, and we're going, yeah, of course, great. And then we, we saw the Kickstarter, and obviously very quickly it looked as though we'd probably be involved. Right. Uh, well, Very quickly. Yeah. So well, in la last year, uh, when Grant was here at Magfest, he he talked. Um, he mentioned that both you and him have a different compositional style, and that you worked on the pieces of the game that you thought would best uh, suit your individual style. Grant spoke about some of the things that he thought defined his own musical style, particularly in the music of Banjo Kazooie that he was sort of thinking about sending up. The kind of oompa music mixed Comedic, with this large tritone, the tritone, yeah, progression. Uh, how how do you think that someone would best describe your specific compositional style? The Dave Wise sound. <laughs> if one had to distill it to something. I, I don't know. It's very hard to analyze your own music, isn't it? <laughs> so sure. So uh, I'm not quite sure. The Dave Wise sound will do. Yeah, I have some thoughts. <laughs> what are your thoughts? <laughs> Contrasting to Grant's style, when I think of Dave Wise, I think of slower paced, a little bit more ambient, taking its time, letting something breathe and expand. But the most important thing is the strong melody at the heart of it. Well, and I think in, in addition to that, um, what's so great is both of you have scored um, children's games, comedic games, but I find that Grant chooses to approach things with a tongue-in-cheek, where I find that often you compose in a way that is almost playing the straight man. The music is very serious, and I think if you were to take it out of its context in those games, anyone listening would be really moved by the beauty. I, so much of your stuff has these... Um, there's like layers to it, you know, maybe there will be a little idea that sets in motion and I think Carl was talking about taking taking its time. What it, we've always just been so delighted about your music is it's able to create the sense of atmosphere, of ambiance, but it doesn't stop there. It also satisfies kind of your musical needs for rhythm, groove, melody, all these things. And I, to me, I, I might just be limited in my exposure, but I can't think of another composer who combines all those elements so beautifully. Well, it's very kind of you to say, and you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, um, yeah. Let the let the record show. Dave just gave two enthusiastic thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, again, it just comes from I do what I do, and sure. I enjoy doing what I'm doing. And when I listen to a piece of music, and again, it it comes back to that thing where you've listened to music so many times that if it didn't have bits of layers and suggested other things, then it would soon get boring. And you've probably added them, thinking, well, if I put that in there, it's going to abstract it a bit. Sure. And, and take away from it. And, and I do like pieces of music that breathe, that don't just give you everything all at once. I, I like to develop it. That's what, you know, I, I, I like. Another, another thing when I, when I think about the Dave Wise sound that is maybe contrasting to some other composers is the groove is always strong. There's always a strong sense of rhythm and groove in most of your music. Yeah, I, I used to play drums, so... Um, yeah, I like a bit of groove and getting the groove right. You know, once you're in the zone and you're in the groove. Absolutely. Well, I imagine we're we're more talking about 
there's also many types of pieces because you're very diverse as a composer where you might deviate from sort of the sound we have in our heads. I think in that facet, uh, your mu your music is doubly interesting because you have tracks like uh, Aquatic Ambiance or Sticker Bush Symphony or... Um, there's you realize now these titles may mean anything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Water theme from Donkey Kong Country 1. Or even in, there's, there's that theme in, in Tropical Freeze for the more kind of like lava, fiery level that has that sort of building atmosphere to it. But then on the other hand, when I think of uh, your work in NES titles and the Donkey Kong Country series, this idea of kind of... Uh, a blues jazz um, influence that almost seems like another facet of your music was that something that was always there or did that become more of an interest once you started working on games uh, that, that, that kind of became more of a focus when I got my saxophone and oh, sure. uh, there's a I, I don't know what the I'm not very good at technical terms but there's a um, it's like a blues scale that you can play, and you can play it in major or minor. It'll fit with anything, and once you've sure. mastered that, you can go off on, you know, where. So like one flat three four. I don't know sure. what it is, okay, sure. but it, it seems to work major minor, and you right. can play over anything, which is great because when you're on a sax and you don't know what you're doing, and you're at a gig, <laughs> you sort of well, what, what's the sort of general key, and so it's in G, and you think right, okay, yeah, we can. I'm gonna use that. Yeah, that scale. we can nail it, and we can uh, we can adapt it. And of course, it's good because when you go down an extra third, you can still use it and, and stuff. It's just a, a, sure. a different um, inversion, isn't it? One thing we were a little we we'll, we were curious about is uh, somebody foreshadowed in the panel that you were actually working this weekend. You were spending some time getting some some work done. Um, are there any upcoming projects that you maybe are able to talk about that you're looking forward to? And kind of. Related to that, your life now as a freelancer who's hopping from various projects, how does that compare to your time working with one team all the time? Uh, on the whole, I will work on one project at, at a time. Um, I like to keep the focus, I like to, to know where I'm going and what I'm doing. There are times when um, you might have started a project a long time ago, like, like ukulele, and uh, at some point somebody said oh, we've got to just finish this off we're going to release a CD and so you, you're busily like tying a few things off unexpectedly because you didn't think it would get to that sure. that time sure. either as quick as it did or it's been really delayed and you just have to cram it in because so uh, I was just doing some editing and just making sure that um, something was ready okay. for delivery awesome I, I am curious um, because in again we were so grateful when you were kind enough to come on our show a few years ago and uh, I really enjoyed that interview and I know a lot of our fans and listeners have um, were so grateful uh, to have that insight into your career that's our highest rated YouTube video is oh, our cool. interview segment yeah. of yours yeah yeah, but awesome. people seem to be really delighted to hear that insight into the games. I think particularly the NES and SNES titles because, you know, as some time has passed, it seems like there's sort of less primary sources into what it was like developing on games in that period. I am really curious to talk a bit more about um, your NES days, or I guess you could just say the 8-bit the years. Uh, our, our friend, he's sort of uh, the fourth... Marcado brother, he plays in um, the band with us, uh, Jaime, he's from Ecuador, and he grew up uh, listening to your music and playing games. His favorite, he loves the Wizards and Warriors series, uh, Iron Sword. Um, 
but I, I really think some of that early music really was impactful to people around the world. But I know that you got started uh, pretty pretty young. Do you have any sort of memories of that era that um, you kind of have a fondness for? Um, I, as I said in the um, Q&A panel, it was really the fact that um, somebody was interested in listening to my music and so you've got this NES the glorified doorbell <laughs> and so you, you, what you're trying to do is to put it onto this very compromised machine musically sure. although in other ways it, it's not because it's, it's reaching a large audience so you, you've got a job to do to make the best of it and it's, it's, it's you know get on with it do you think the scope of sort of the audience were you aware of it at that time that wow the music I'm writing um, not only is it going to be listened to but by children all over the world it had that really hit you at what point did that sort of become real um, about seven years after DKC1 was released that's wow. when um, wow. I, I realized uh, and also, it's it's thanks to people like Andreversa and OC Remix. They started sure. remixing some of the tracks from from the game. And as I alluded earlier, we we worked in a farmhouse in the middle of Warwickshire, <laughs> miles Where away from civilization. We, we had no idea. So it was a job. You got on with it, and you went on to the next thing. Uh, we couldn't possibly have known that the stuff that we were working on then was going to have such a big impact and you know I mean it's bizarre here uh, yesterday I had at least five different versions of sticker brush from, <laughs> from, from, from different bands you know and that's a surreal experience and yeah especially how long ago it is that you actually composed that music it's almost to some extent, I imagine it feels more familiar to these strangers than almost to the, the man who created it originally. Well, I do have, I feel like I do have a little bit of responsibility here, maybe to let you know, in case you don't, how, how the, the, you know, the scope of your reach uh, as a video game composer. I, I'm of the opinion that the DK Island Swing da -da -da -da, da -da 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 -da, is one of the maybe top five most recognizable video game Absolutely. melodies of all time. So I'm not sure if you knew that. Conducted a scientific. Oh yeah. The Mario Brothers theme is the Mario Brothers theme is unequivocally number one. Oh yeah. Completely. Maybe we would say Zelda. I'd say Zelda. Number three, maybe Final Fantasy, Street Fighter, maybe, and five. I would argue DK on Swing. Yeah. Cool. I don't think it's an extreme argument. Oh yeah, you could you could argue it all day, couldn't you? But certainly with. When I first started working at Rare, I spent three weeks playing Mario. It was, oh, sure. and I didn't know how new it was. I thought video games had been around for quite a while, and it was sure. an established kind of thing. But it wasn't. It was. It was the beginning. It was the beginning seeds of the industry. Oh, and um, yeah, I wish I'd have written Mario. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think we we all do. But yeah. then maybe it, it wouldn't have existed. Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. So. You know, I I'm I'm curious. Uh, one of the things that because you mentioned that you, you didn't have an abundance of classical training, and I, I think, um, at least in my opinion, I think that's one of the things that is unique to you as a composer, that you really rely on your instincts. And I imagine this is something that comes in handy all the time in a career being a video game composer, because you tend to have to rely on your instinctual response of how to score a level. Especially with the time constraints. Yeah, what I'm curious about, 
what is the situation you can remember where there was the biggest time crunch? You mentioned that Donkey Kong Country 3 example where you had to write the music for the Game Boy in only six weeks. Um, is there any other example you can think of, of where there was really a, this sense of urgency where you didn't have a lot of time and you had to sort of rely on your gut instincts and move really, really quickly? Yeah, there was um, back in the uh, NES days, there was one called Anticipation, and they were just fighting to get it out by the end of the week. We had a lot quicker turnaround, and um, I, I came in and, and, and did it, and there was another one where we were doing Snake, Rattle, and Roll. Yeah. And that, that was done in a very short time frame um, and you just had to get on with it and in fact they had a uh, bit, bit of a story there we, we were trying to finish the game off but I'd, I thought I'd finished it so I'd, I'd been out on the Saturday night and, and got completely blattered because I was a lot younger and you know you did that sort of thing but they you needed just had a long week of work <laughs> they, they needed this 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 product finishing off so that uh, they, they came and collected me because I, I lived about 20 miles away and um, we did it, and I did the best I could under the influence of alcohol. <laughs> and uh, they, they took me back home, and I came in on the Monday. I'd sobered up by that point, and I listened to it. And I thought, "Oh, this is awful." This is, but they loved it, so uh, you know. <laughs> you know what's interesting about about that to me is um, video games have sort of since there is this sense of historical preservation, like with any artistic medium, with films. The idea that the work that you did then really will live on for future uh, generations. Hopefully, that's that's something that um, you're 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 comfortable with. Um, but I, it's interesting to me to hear these stories of a, a really short amount of time that you had to work on something when um, the games are sort of celebrated uh, sort of still immortal. today. Yeah. Yeah, and also let's go. Let's go back to Mario. Um, you, you've got a, a very compromised palette to work with, so sure. you do the best that you can, and you've got this melody, and and that's mainly all you've got. Whereas these days, you can have melody, you can have ambience, you can have taiko drums, taiko drums, whatever. You, you can have whatever you want, you know. Um, but then it was the melody or nothing, and I think that kind of stuck really. And that obviously influenced the compositions um, I did then and, and continues to influence my way of working now. Well, we're so grateful for that because another thing that I feel is um, so much of the music that's being done now that has a very sophisticated budget and gets to utilize orchestras and also all uh, some of the things that uh, Austin... Um, and Gareth were talking about today about the integration um, of how the music works in the game. I think there are a lot who really celebrate that, and I think we do as well. But to me, there is nice. something artistically valid and equally so, if not more so, about the strength and craft that it takes to write a really good melody. And the undeniability of that. Yeah, and I think there is something on an observable level that does more when you have a great theme that is what that's what people remember it's almost quantifiable in a sense but I, I really think your music deserves to be you know treated with the same level of appreciation as Clearly anything we're in, we're in very good company this weekend <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very kind of you to say but as I said earlier we just making it up as we go along you know all, all of us whatever we're doing there's no oh, yeah. preset script you, you, you've only got the 
you can only look back in retrospect, can't you, and, and figure out the best way of doing it. But whilst we're moving forward, there's no, it's not written. You just you're just winging it and trying to do the best that you can. Sure. And it's it's when we all figure out that everybody else is doing that that life becomes a lot more balanced and right. <laughs> and easier to understand. Yeah. So, uh, kind of just a couple more questions here to kind of wrap this up. One thing about your music that is definitely unique, and at the time, if we talk about 1994 when Donkey Kong Country came out, and everyone was listening to, we'll call it the water theme from Donkey Kong Country One Aquatic Ambience. Uh, there wasn't that kind of music being written for video games then. It just didn't exist. Really slow, uh, long loops that are like two minutes, 30 seconds well, with, with vibey instruments coming in and out. Just an overall a sense of atmosphere, uh, not a 30-second little plucky jingle. Uh, so once that was written, in, in my mind, it kind of changed the game for all other future composers that, okay, not only is this possible, but there are times in a video game when this is actually what, we, what we're going to have to do. So that might not have been aware, aware to you uh, at that time, but did that affect your future projects uh, as far as how you uh, evoked atmosphere. atmosphere into your music? I just personally like atmosphere in music when I listen to music that, that works for me, that gives me an emotional impact. It's, it's, it's normally building, it's evolving it's evocative of something it's 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 there's got a bit of movement in it and i think it's the movement rather than just throwing everything at somebody sure right. in the, the development of ideas and sounds i think something that that whole game was really um uh delightful for at the time not just the music but just how impressive it was in the context of console games the visuals the gameplay the engine everything about it felt like it was really hitting this uh, next level, and I think the music does that as well. I mean, the way that some of those synth sounds start to kind of mutate and develop, it, it really, you know, there was someone at the a panel earlier who mentioned that they thought your SNES music uh, sounded like Red Book audio, and of course you remarked that it was very far from it. They're talking about the expressive expressivity of... Yeah, but it's just, I think you were really clever in how in the type of music that you chose to create because it it, it highlighted the best strengths of the Super Nintendo. I think. Yeah, it was, but it wasn't an accident. There were many, many experiments that simply epically failed <laughs> that nobody will ever hear, sure. which is good. And then you, you kind of realize what, what does work. And then when you find something that does work, you've not only got it working, but you've got eight channels at this point. And instead of just playing on one tune, well, for that, just whilst you're introducing the music, we're going to use all eight channels to make that, that one melody sound great, or that one little piece of music. You might have a bass note and, and something, and I'm throwing everything at it. But then when you start introducing other music, your brain's already got it into your mind that it sounds pretty. Because it, and so you can dial it back and then use those channels for, for other voices. And so it was, it was like cheat mode all the time, smoke and mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. One of the things that sticks out in my mind is really the timbre of the instruments and how they, it almost feels like, like a mod wheel on a synthesizer. Um, but th that sort of particular effect, um, 
I guess I could try to mimic it with my voice, but the that that phasing effect was yeah. that was that achieved through different samples, or was there something you were actually manipulating in the Super Nintendo? Uh, no, it's, it's not the Super Nintendo. If I'd known it got an FM chip, then I could have done it on that. You know, been a, <laughs> sure. Um, just by changing the. Uh, uh, the operator strength. Sure, sure. But uh, the, the way it was done, it was single cycle waveforms. I got about 20, and mm -hmm. I nicked the idea from the Corgway station at the time because they did it. And what you do, you you crossfade from one to the other, so you're always playing two, two, ah, two samples, sure. and then you smudge it over by having a vocal um, line in the background, and then you can't hear the crossfades, and it sounds like one smooth thing. And ah. um, and the idea with doing it's the way it kind of goes into it as well and I was just trying to emulate Portamento so from a technical point of view that that line I was very li into listening to Duran Duran as well at the same oh, time sure, he's sure. it kind of into his synths so to, to actually get a synth sound that could you could modulate the resonance on or, or the cutoff filter from the resonance and then put Portamento on as well is something you could never achieve on, on the Super NES so to actually emulate it and get away with it was like you know, yeah. it was just one of those nerd <laughs> sure. out kind of moments. Oh, we've done it! You know, that's great. I'm sure you had a lot of drinks I mean, after that even too. To this day, cause on our podcast, uh, whenever we feature some of that Donkey Kong Country music, uh, I just find myself continually like being like, "God, how did he do it?" Because <laughs> even after our interview, where you talked about sort of the single uh, cycle waveforms, it's still way <laughs> above my head. But just. Uh, the, yeah, the fact that you really can't hear the se seams with all that stuff and all, all the instruments um, really evoke a sound. Like uh, in Doggy on Country 2, which to me has more of kind of an orchestral sound, it's always very clear, you know, is this supposed to sound like a French horn? Is this supposed to be strings? And then we have other examples where everything is entirely created with these synthesizer-like sounds, or sounds of animals, or birds, or flutes. It's really an eclectic mix, but somehow it all sits together. Yeah, and some of that room. was just to, we've, as I say, we've only got 64K, but have got a very limited sample set. So if you've got a bird, what else can you do with a bird? And But it wasn't that. You'd look at the waveform, and you realize that the, the bird is, is a collection of little dots. So you can just take sure. one of those, and then you can put the modulation curve in y yourself oh, back sure. in, in, and fire off a subroutine to do it. And so instead of having a bird sound, you've got one tiny little part of a bird sound. And, you emulate sure. the and you're actually drawing the, well, that's, in effect, drawing the... Yeah, yeah. Put, drawing it back in and, and, and getting, getting the sound that way. And then you realize that if... So inventive. Yeah, you could use that sound then, not just as a bird sound, but because it's a, a single cycle waveform, then it actually you can play it and it sounds totally different yeah. to a, a trumpet sound. So it was just making the best of the very limited resources we got and using them in inventive ways. So you got a much bigger palette than you, you might imagine that you got it was I just think more. there needs to be more more <laughs> praise of just Absolutely. how ingenious that well was. what's becoming more clear to us uh, all the time as we dig into video game music and as much as we can uncover stories behind it and particularly this weekend is that we can all from a musicological perspective analyze what's wonderful about a piece of music but I think we're most of us are very unaware of I guess what I would call the music producer side of the equation. And it's not just that you're Lennon or McCartney, you're also George Martin or Brian Eno maybe. And the, I think the, the sort of 
implement, audio implementer as really musical producer is an extremely important part of the story. And I don't think we'd have, you know, from a musical perspective, we talk about maybe the arrangements of these pieces, but those arrangements wouldn't have been possible without your technical expertise and the many experiments like you said, that you took. Yeah, there, there were. It'd be great to somehow celebrate that that part of the story. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's just about the music. You, you've come up with this idea for, for a piece of music, and then the rest of it is how, once you've got this idea, how do you present it? And you might have this idea of how you want to present it, but then you have all these technical challenges. So rather than having a brick wall, it's how do we get around the side of the brick wall, get to the other side, and, and, and do something. And, and that's... I still do that to this day. You know, how, how can we? Uh, how, how do we find a solution to the problem that we have in front of us? And there's a lot of production that goes into it. That's kind of a fitting way to maybe sum up what you've learned in your career. Yeah. Well, I, 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 again, all three of us are, are really just delighted by this opportunity to get to talk with you again. I'm sure the three of us could go on. Uh, just for hours more in sort of uh, fan out, but we want to respect. We want to respect your time. Uh, I just want to end with this last question, uh, in sort of culmination with this week at Magfest and seeing all of these fans. I mean, the line to get into your Q and A was literally stretched all the way around the hall. I mean, just so many people wanting to hear you speak and learn about your music. What has changed about your view of your career and your audience since you got into this business? Yeah, I mean, it's surreal, isn't it? You're standing in the hotel and you're thinking, is that really the cue for my cue? Because the last time I saw something like that, I was in uh, at GDC over in San Francisco, and there was this big line, and it was for Koji Kondo. Sure. Right. So I thought, oh, I'll go and stand in that line and see what it's got to say. And it was a similar thing, you know, hundreds of people <laughs> pile into this thing and you think, oh, it's so cool, you know, it's Koji Kondo. And then, you know, here, here we are, <laughs> and there's that line thing, wow, that is cool. <laughs> <laughs> any any comparison to Koji Kondo, I mean, that's that's yeah. a good sign. But, well, yeah, I mean, he had a lot more people in his, and, you know, I mean... Koji Kondo is the pioneer, wasn't he? I mean, that, that Mario thing. <laughs> the Godfather. You know, the Godfather. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Complete respect. Have it's... you ever gotten to meet him? No, I, I, met, I met him at that GDC. Oh, sure. So, that wow. was the uh, last time I met him. I, heard, I really hope somebody uh, took a photograph of, of that uh, encounter. No, it was a very him. brief encounter, and there was no photos, but... Um, uh, his, uh, it was his interpreter. He he, he did oh, most sure. of the speaking. I've I've since seen him on a few other occasions. The sure. interpreter. So, uh, well, if there ever is a uh, Mount Rushmore for video game composers, he very well may be George Washington. But we're not sure if, whether it's Lincoln or Teddy Roosevelt. You are you are part of that part of that. Well, Mount it, it's process. it's good company. I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> honoured to think that you might be that I might be part of it. But, uh, oh, but there we go. So. Uh, <laughs> Well, thanks again so much for this, David. Uh, yeah, you're very we welcome. really appreciate your time. And thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for being interested. So. <laughs> A very special thank you once again to the legendary 
David Wise. Uh, you know, Such back at MAGFest, talk. we had the privilege, and Dave was nice enough to actually hang out with us for a little bit after. We actually got drinks with him and had some wonderful personal discussions with him. And, I mean, I think the three of us can attest that uh, really one of the nicest guys. Uh, Absolutely. Couldn't have been more. You know, you hear stories about, you know, oh, you don't want to meet your heroes and that sometimes people aren't the way you expect and things are unsatisfying. And I, I think we were maybe you know naturally a little bit nervous about that because you know dave wise really means so much to all of us as composers yeah uh, it, it couldn't have been more of an inspiring uh meeting i, I really don't think i'm ever going to forget that i i really i i really love kind of the balance that that dave strikes because there are obviously japanese composers that you know such as probably even koji kondo who maybe aren't aware of just how big they are and how many people love them right. and there's definitely some truth to that with dave but i feel like he's just it he doesn't really let it affect him that much it doesn't really affect he just he just goes to work and does his thing and doesn't really think too much about it and we're all just you know blessed with with such wonderful music over the years so thanks again dave for talking with us hopefully we'll be able to you know meet you and talk with you again in the future all right let's keep playing some more music now we're going to play the world three minecart theme from ukulele what's cool is uh these last two we're going to play the world three and then later on today we'll, we'll hear the world five they're very different this one is very very groovy i want you guys to pay attention to the rhythmic kernel that this piece starts off with really cool stuff let's check it out that kind of pop Latin 80s rhythm that he establishes in this piece, kind of a Gloria Estefan style rhythm. Nice. Oh my yeah. gosh, this is just so poppy, so catchy, so groovy. One thing we mentioned last week is that the music of today, um, composed by Dave in, in, in a little bit, Steve, uh, is a lot more rhythmic and groovy, groove-oriented than uh, Grant's right. contributions. You know, Grant has dabbled in that from time to time, but that's not necessarily probably the first thing he thinks about, whereas Dave you know, we, we covered this in our first interview. The first thing he typically thinks about is the tempo and kind of the pace right. of, of what he's working on. You know, I think if, if David Wise was in his 20s right now and he was uh, just a developing musician coming up now, I guarantee you he'd be writing electronic EDM music and he might be, you know, <laughs> some huge household name because That's that funny. kind of stuff is really in vogue right now. Um, but yeah, he, he really has such an incredible and impeccable sense of rhythm. And like we mentioned before, just developing these really beautiful and innovative tapestries yeah. of sound. I, I mean, we've come to term it as melodic atmosphere or melodic ambiance. 
Um, and I just think that it's as true today as it ever was. He has all these elements going on. Yet, yes, there's interesting sounds. Yes, it creates a deeply rich and subtle mood that I don't think detracts too much from the overall game experience. Yeah. So it does have that subtle quality to it. But there almost always is this singable element. There's a tune that's stuck in your head. There's something you can leave taking away. And that's so valuable to me, at least. Yeah, you're so right, man. I think that juxtaposition or, or that combination that unique combination that we get in his music uh, I'm grateful that we were able to tell him that in the interview there's a moment when we asked him <laughs> right. what's the Dave Wise sound and he's like I don't know and I was like well I have an idea and like I tell him pretty much what we think is so great about his music so I was I was glad to have that opportunity um, to get to tell him that so alright guys let's move on to the next track of the day this one is called Track Attack and it starts out a little bit experimental before it gets into the groove let's take a listen This is so awesome. You guys are listening to Track Attack, composed by David Wise from Ukulele. This would be right at home in Donkey Kong. This would be right at home even in like Mario Galaxy for like a Bowser Jr. theme or something. It's so <laughs> swanky and demonic. Yeah. I just, I just absolutely love the way that he's uh, kind of navigating the modern era of our production expectations you know things have to sound really polished otherwise you know people people would complain uh so he's definitely matching those expectations but at the end of the day especially when you get to this later section this is just classic dave completely Uh, yeah i'm just so impressed with the amount of detail uh in craft that you can really hear went into creating something like this mm-hmm. again it's so funny in the interview dave talks about like oh you know ukulele that was just grant score i just helped out but this is not at all a gentleman just doing his stock and trade thing in somebody right. else's project you know some of the music really feels like it's that wisey and style you could have lifted it from tropical freeze maybe uh, sure. but something like this it's like it's so specific and detailed and and I, I mean, there's so much effort and love and passion that would go into creating something like this. Well, I think the other uh, thing- probably what he was what he was meaning is that the number of tracks that he composed was far less. But sure. yeah, I mean, the tracks that he did compose, you're right. It doesn't feel like there's there's any sort of like phoning in or anything even close to that. Well, and it feels like he's still growing and exploring new things. I mean, this doesn't sound like any other existing piece I can think of by Dave. I can tell it's him. It has elements of his style, that blues and jazz harmony in there, and this kind of emotional atmosphere that's created, a heavy emphasis on rhythm and these layered textures and innovative sounds. But it's really different. It's really new. It's not something that, you know, you couldn't feed information about Dave Wise's style into a robot. It wouldn't produce this, you know, it really is something bold and new and different. And 
you know, this many years into his career, I'm just so delighted that not only are we getting new Dave music, but it's going in different directions. It's almost like when you got a new Beatles album back in the 60s, and it's like, it's more incredible Beatles music, but they're also, you know, I didn't get two rubber soles. Now they're evolving or revolvering. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I really get that sense with him that it's like he's... He's not staying put. He, he's still going Absolutely. places. He's got more tricks left up his sleeve. Well, now we're going to play a couple of tracks composed by the wonderful Steve Burke, and we're really glad to focus on this. So Steve Burke was a composer that was hired in a little bit of a later generation of Rare. I think he was hired in 2001, helped out with Star Fox Adventures. His first kind of big uh, compositional duty at that company was Cameo Elements of Power. That's what most people know him for. Really cool soundtrack, which was orchestrated. He also did additional compositions on Viva Pinata. So he's worked with Dave and with Grant before. Uh, his compositions in ukulele are really, really cool, and they go off in a different direction. I would say they're maybe closer to Dave's than Grant's, but what's what I find interesting is that there are some elements of chiptune in his compositions. So it really feels like it's kind of covering, when you listen to the whole soundtrack, it feels like you're getting, like I said, something for everyone here. So let's take a listen to uh, a track called Up in Nova, composed by Steve Burke. You guys are listening to Up in Nova, composed by Steve Burke from Ukulele. I love this. This is, to me, this is such a clear nod to old school video game music, particularly that of Japanese composers. Uh, not only is is it you know using chip sounds, but kind of the chords and the melodies that kind of these textbook, maybe even elements of cliche, uh, you know, musical textures that these old video game composers were so skilled at. It's fun to hear that in a modern game, especially like ukulele, which this is not the typical coat of paint for the soundtrack. So, you know, I think I think this is just a great change of pace. Yeah, completely. What I think is so great about a project like this is it's really about celebrating the individuals who help to contribute to that rare style. Yeah. Um, rare meaning literally and of the company. That seems to be what Platonic and ukulele was all about. And so I like that these composers and artists they're not necessarily being precious to any pre-existing thing but it's more about recapturing that spirit and so I like that they all kind of felt free to do something different and it, it makes the soundtrack very eclectic but to me that's something that Rare was 
always about. And even though, you know, this isn't actually a Banjo-Kazooie game, you know, you get elements of that, but you also feel elements of say Donkey Kong 64 or Mm -hmm. the old Donkey Kong country games. It's, it's such a love letter, um, really to all of the fans, I think, who, uh, supported these incredible artists and getting to hear them create new stuff, sort of within the confines of that world and in that old spirit is, is such a joy. Well, let's take listen to another Steve Burke track contribution. It's, it's also chiptune inspired as well, which is so much fun. This is Glaciators from Ukulele. This is so wonderful. I would say this might be the most surprising aspect of when I listened to the score. It was such a, a, a nice surprise to hear Steve's contributions, the fact that they were so bold and went in such a different direction. Um, I guess I was expecting his tracks to be maybe like cutscene music, maybe kind of background, just not to maybe take center stage as much. Um, and so I was just really delighted to hear his, his tracks. I mean... I don't know. I, I think some of his tracks are, are really up there as far as some, some of the strongest in, in the score. I mean, really, Completely. This, all three of these gentlemen were not messing around when, when they worked on this project. This is a this is a very heavy soundtrack from all of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, and I'd be doubtful if it was really intentional, but there's almost a mutual respect that they all seem to have for one another in kind of carving out their own musical territory. How separate all of their styles are from one another in a very real way, I think is a powerful experience for the soundtrack. And it kind of lets each composer do their own thing without feeling like direct comparative competition. You know, I mean, it would be hard to compare something like this to one of those Dave tracks. And it would be hard to compare it to, you know, some of the orchestral, beautiful banjo kazooian music that we got last week with, Grant, it's all so unique and it's all doing something different. Um, yeah. I think it's it's really something that ought to be celebrated. I'm loving this Steve Burke music. I like this uh, synth aspect of it. It does have sort of a chiptune sound to it, but you know mm-hmm. you can't put your finger on something specific. Actually, what it reminds me of is some of Dave's music from the SNES, where he was actually using SNES samples of certain synthesizer That's sounds. Fun. It's yeah. getting into that kind of space to me. I mean, there, for me, there were specific things like there some Gradius elements here, some Konami stuff. And there was actually one moment that it might've been an up in Nova that reminded me of, uh, that, that TurboGrafx 16 
track that daddy Malk. daddy Malk, yeah <laughs> a little bit so guys all right this is the last track we're going to discuss today and we're going to break the rules uh we're very well aware we're doing that so you know this is a disclaimer first before you send your tweets at us we're going to play a track composed by david wise for another game that was released almost at the same time of ukulele that may have flown under the radar of some of you i'm not sure if some of you are aware of this it's out for the switch and for some other systems it's a puzzle game called snake pass and it was composed by David Wise, and it is really, really good. We're going to play one track because we feel like it's an excuse today. You know, we're already talking about David Wise's music. So let's see how well this fits in. This is Sog G's Realm, which is the water world of Snake Pass. So it's not surprising that we might get some aquatic ambience vibes here. Let's take a listen. It, it really is crazy, you know, listening to Dave's music. It's emotional for me. Like, I can't help it because I hear things that remind me of music that was so important to me as a child. Uh, you know, tracks like Aquatic Ambience just being blown away with years ago. This just brings me back into that headspace. The reason why we broke the rules here on our Ukulele Part 2 episode is I think this game and this score doesn't seem to be getting quite the, you know, the coverage uh, of ukulele uh, rightly so i think it's a smaller game but you know we just wanted to do our part to at least at least with one track to just kind of shine a light on this because isn't this awesome my gosh is this fantastic i love the kind of 12 8 or triplet subdivision aspect of it yeah i am Me also too. reminded of aquatic of aquatic ambience but it has this other element that that track didn't of overt groove and some of those jungly elements mm. again it's this perfect mixture new incredible dave melodies I also, and sorry i keep production. saying this but another favorite moment is uh when i asked him about you know how, how his music so groove he's like yeah i like a bit of groove <laughs> it's just he definitely you, likes he a likes bit of groove. a bit of groove gosh yeah this is so fantastic and again I yeah it, it really is emotional to hear new music by these artists who you grow up with for me in particular um, since I'm you know much younger than you Carl but I mm -hmm. still grew up playing the same games that you grew up with on so emulators for yeah. me 
yeah, I, I, and it's 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 always been a strange experience um, meeting people or even experiencing uh, when artists I love create something new mm-hmm. because it feels like so much of the things I obsess over is either created by you know composers or people that are long dead or not working anymore and so the fact that the the concept of getting new david wise music it's never something that i thought about as a kid when i played those games i knew i was playing old games i didn't think that you know these people are are still making new things and Mm -hmm. i can grow up and still experience something new by these artists it's really a treat and yeah this these two weeks have just been delightful thanks again to grant kirkhope and to david wise for talking to us for giving us the time to talk to them not only about ukulele but uh, their both of their incredible careers right and then on the next project that i'm assuming these these three guys will work on we'll definitely have to try to get steve uh, on the podcast at some point too i'd love to hear his maybe all three of them at the same time that might be so So, guys uh this was such a fun couple of weeks next week is the big one it's the listener show and tell episode we've already had to cut off (laughs) submissions because we got more than we can fit so you guys just blew us away with your amazing submissions this is going to be a great one i have a feeling this year uh so we'll be doing that next week we're going to play you guys out with uh world five minecart theme from ukulele and we have something really exciting to announce this has been years in the making we've talked about this before on the podcast but Mm -hmm. the soundtrack that carl and i have been creating to the upcoming side scroller game asker we've been working on this for almost three years now on and off Uh, the music is finally complete and tomorrow actually we will be having the official soundtrack release so we are stay tuned to our band camp uh super mercado brothers bandcamp.com for the release uh, tomorrow it's pay what you want um, but we're just so excited to get to share that music with you guys because um, it's it's been kind of an emotional journey for us lately to um, complete all this stuff because we've never really worked on a project for this long and yeah uh, we just had a wonderful time collaborating with the designer Benny it's just been a joy working with him and I can't wait uh, to see the game released yeah and we're gonna do a bonus episode uh, for the soundtrack because it, it's just one that we're so jazzed about uh, and so yeah if you if you guys are excited about the idea of a brand new 16-bit style soundtrack to you know for for pay what you want you guys should definitely uh go to our website and and check that out we're really excited about it all right guys as usual in addition to our website you can check us out on itunes and subscribe to us there or leave us a review you can follow us on twitter at marcado bros like us on facebook uh and if you're really interested in supporting the show you can um support us on patreon and we're very very grateful to all of our wonderful patrons on there we have some cool rewards on there and, and our website is supermarcadobros.com yes it is and another little side venture uh we got got to mention will and marty's podcast underscore if you're a fan of film music but you're also enjoying maybe kind of the brueggemann style of of talking and analyzing music you should check that out <laughs> uh the sister podcast although it shouldn't be sister because they're still the brother brothers podcast. On the brother yeah, podcast the marcado yeah. brothers network yeah yeah, yeah no yeah. tomorrow we unveil our commentary track to vertigo so if you like really long slow alfred hitchcock movies <laughs> you should tune in tomorrow because we go through the entire score to 
Bernard Herrmann's incredible Vertigo. If you like Jimmy Stewart impressions, you should also uh, check that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's too much of that, but oh a yeah, little there, bit? there might be. Okay. You know, we actually talk a little bit about our parents That's on funny. that episode because, uh, you know, just dad has so many things from that movie that right. he's always quoting and we couldn't help when watching it to talk about those. All right, guys, we're going to let you go. This is the Minecart theme from World 5. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, everyone. Peace out. Peace out.